We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome inside the Guilty as Charged podcast, coming to you live on a Saturday. Uh, here to talk about some Chargers offensive coordinator interviews uh, and requests for those interviews. We're also going to do our top 10 Chargers of the season. And then, of course, we will uh, spend basically you know, the, the back half of this show uh, taking some questions. Uh, I'm sure we'll get a lot of off-season questions uh, today. So, um, excited to dive in with my guys Tyler and Alex. Tyler, we'll start with you, man. What's up? How are you doing this morning? I was doing okay, and I started to look at my list again, and I got a giant headache trying to sort through all these <laughs> players. So, um, you know, we'll talk about it. I'll see how it goes, but uh, it, was, it was tough to make this list for sure. Yeah, this uh, all of the injuries kind of make things a mess, very pretty messy uh, this year in terms of top 10 lists. So, uh, excited to see what we come up with. We have not shared our list with each other just yet. We'll do it live uh, with you guys, so going to be a, a fun reaction there. Um, Alex, what's up, man? I have to say, uh, because of Kaiser White and Britton Covey, I am rooting for your Eagles today, uh, so I hope they're able to pull off a win against the Giants, but uh, how are you doing this afternoon? Doing good, doing good. Some people think that I might be wearing the Eagles shirt today for the Eagles. However, it is the Super Bowl 52 shirt right here for one Frank Reich, so if we can get him going today <laughs> and get the interview requested then, you know, it'll all be worth it. There we go. Uh, you know, speaking it into existence there and also, you know, dressing for the occasion as for uh, for the birds today. 
All right. So as I mentioned, uh, we'll we'll dive into some of the uh, Chargers offensive coordinator interview requests today. Um, there's only been three, so it's not like we have a ton to really dive into. But um, three guys that we did not really talk a whole lot about on our offensive coordinator, or at all, really, uh, <laughs> on our, our show on uh, Wednesday in terms of uh, Chargers offensive coordinator candidates. So um, Brandon Staley and Tom Telesco both said that they're going to do an extensive search for this position. They're going to interview a lot of people. So I don't necessarily think we should be making any kind of general takeaways at this point in time. Uh, Alex talking about Frank Reich. Frank Reich's doing head coaching interviews right now. So uh, you know, I can't imagine he in particular would be interested in interviewing for offensive coordinators until that whole situation is settled. So right. um, a lot of people freaking out on Twitter, and I'm sure there will be some people here in the chat who are upset about the lack of experience. Just take a step back for a little bit. It's just the three requests. Um, you know, there's not a, a whole lot to at least panic about, at least not yet. Um, so first and foremost, the Chargers did put in an interview request for uh, Vikings. I see the offensive coordinator, right? Vikings offensive coordinator, Wes Phillips. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did decide not to take the interview. He's happy in Minnesota and is is willing to build there uh, with the Vikings and what he's uh, been able to work with uh, Kirk Cousins and Kevin O'Connell this year. And then obviously the uh, more popular one, Chargers did officially put in an interview request for Zach Robinson, the Rams quarterbacks coach and passing game coordinator. And then today uh, came out that the Chargers have put an interview for Gerard Johnson, uh, the assistant quarterbacks coach in Minnesota, played a few years in the NFL as a practice squad player. It's been on Frank Reich's staff, speaking of Frank Reich, and also Mm -hmm. Kyle Shanahan's staff. So uh, pretty clear indication of where the Chargers are looking. But Alex, we'll start with you. Any, Any big takeaway about any of these three interview requests so far? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing with Wes Phillips um, that's interesting is that the Vikings weren't the ones who turned that down. It was Wes Phillips himself uh, that did turn that interview down. And I think there's been a lot of conversation about whether the Chargers are kind of the best offensive coordinator job or not, right? Because on paper, you kind of look at them and it's like they have Justin Herbert, right? You kind of have everything an offensive coordinator wants, but are you kind of more comfortable with Kevin O'Connell, who's pretty clearly, you know, not on the hot seat and then just kind of waiting it out potentially towards next off season, as opposed to taking an interview now and potentially getting the chargers job and then being in a situation with Brandon Staley where he's on the hot seat. And, you know, there has been a lot of NFL insiders who have, you know, kind of compared the openings. So I I think that's going to be something that affects the chargers search. Zach Robinson, uh, no surprise. And yeah, I think that when you just kind of look at the guys that they are kind of clearly going after, there's a very much a theme of, hey, have you ever met Kyle uh, Shanahan or Sean McVay? Then we're kind of interested. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a six degrees of uh, that game, too. Draw uh, Johnson is a, is an interesting interview. I think of anything that seems to be more of like a quarterback's coach type of interview. I think it's noteworthy that he was on uh, both Shanahan and uh, Frank Reich's staffs. Uh, so I, that's worth pointing out uh, for, you know, potentially kind of either working as the QB coach potentially under Frank Reich or working as the QB coach in any Charger system where they're running a West Coast type offense that Brand Staley has indicated that he wants. Uh, so overall, not a ton of takeaways yet until we get, you know, more candidates and more <laughs> second interviews. But I mean, this is about how I kind of expected the search to start. Yeah, I guess I don't know how I expected it to start, but Alex hit on most of the points and most of the connections and most of the themes. 
again, if, if you knew Brandon Staley or you knew someone who knew Brandon Staley, congratulations, you got an interview or a request for an interview. And then even with the linebackers coach that they're going to interview, um, Howard, I always forget his first name because we kept saying it wasn't Ryan. Jeff. Jeff Howard, you know, knows Ryan Ficken and of course Staley. It, it's all about connections at the early stage of this interview process. I'm surprised at the lack of like veteran. I guess I'm not surprised. I noticed the trend that there's a lack of veteran experience because we started off, you know, most of our top three to four guys, whether it be Joe Brady, whether it be Frank Reich, or if you mentioned Frank Smith uh, or Mike LaFleur, like these guys all had experience calling plays. And it just seems like, you know, maybe they're not going there just yet. With that said, there's a lot of time left. So overall, it's a long winded way of me saying that, like, I don't really have much of a takeaway yet. Now, if they go out, and they hire Zach Robinson, and they have one other interview, and that's it, then I'm going to have more questions and more things to say. But for right now, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's very early on. And I think when some of the teams start losing, um, of course, like today and tomorrow, like once these teams start losing, maybe some more attractive candidates are officially free, and they might just go interview those guys in the coming weeks. Yeah, that's – I'm still in kind of wait-and-see mode in terms of who they mm -hmm. interview. Like, Tyler, if this is all that they're interviewing, then, yeah, we, we have a big problem. Um, but you know, I, you know, Brandon Staley said that they're going to do an extensive sh search, and and I think that there is some uh, some stock to put into what like Mike Garofalo was talking about in terms of like weighing the Chargers opening versus the Ravens opening. But there's still no question that the Chargers are a better opening than like the Washington Commanders, who might be starting Sam Howell all of next season, you know, or any of these other teams who need offensive coordinators, like the Patriots, who are also only interviewing. Uh, people that Bill Belichick has spent time with. Uh, so, you know, the, the Chargers definitely still have a very attractive offensive coordinator opening. You know, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers fired their offensive coordinator. They're not going to have Tom Brady. Like, are, are they starting Blaine Gabbert next year? Like, so it's just a lot of lot up in the air for the other teams. I mean, we still think that the Chargers would be the most attractive opening outside of, you know, maybe the, the Ravens. So, I still think that we'll we'll wait and see. You know, a lot of the best candidates that we talked about are still coaching this weekend. So, you know, it is possible that they're just kind of trying to wait and see in that regard. And then, you know, if they're a veteran head coach who's trying to, you know, become a, a head coach, then you've got to wait and see what happens there. So not a ton of takeaways in terms of who they've interviewed. Uh, Gerard Johnson, I think for me, is pretty clearly like a, more of a quarterback's coach opening. I think that would be a fine hire. Yeah. Um, if they decided to to go that route, I mean, like I said, he spent some time in the league. He's been on the Shanahan staff. He's been on Kevin O'Connell's staff. He's been on Frank Reich's staff. So I do think that he would be, you know, a good candidate to fill uh, Shane Day's role. Obviously, the big, the more popular one, the big name, I guess, if you will, is Zach Robinson. So uh, Alex, as you've kind of had some time to dig in more into Zach Robinson and his background a little bit, and, and obviously the, the the clips from PFF and his days there. <laughs> went viral this weekend a little bit in, in part because, you know, Arjun was the first to retweet it and then, you know, everybody else kind of hopped on board. But um, has anything that you've learned over the past couple of days about Zach Robinson maybe made you change your mind about where you would put him in your rankings? Um, I wouldn't put him in my top five, but I mean, he's just kind of like on the outside of it. Like, I don't have a problem with him, but also, you know, one of the things that I feel like I prioritized, particularly in my list, was coaching experience for you know a pretty long time uh and also play calling experience and right now 
for Zach Robinson. He just doesn't have either. Now the Chargers could hire him and he could be a fantastic, you know, off the McVay tree. And, you know, and like we keep rolling, like a lot of the McVay tree stuff has been with O'Connell last year taking over the Vikings, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, like there's a chance that he's really good and I think he's a really smart guy. Uh, it just it, in terms of how I did my list, he wouldn't be one of the top guys that uh, I'm looking at based on the fact that the Chargers kind of need the highest percentage chance uh, of having a successful offensive coordinator and having a first time OC isn't all that attractive to me. Um, but I mean, obviously the potential is there, you know, coming from the McVay system and, and being a very young, bright mind per a lot of people in the league. Yeah, I appreciate the pro football focus connection because that would help us tremendously in so many ways. Um, so that'll be great. As far as him being a first-time coordinator or offensive coordinator, at least like the resume does look good leading up to it. Someone like Gerard Johnson, I think, can definitely get there, but it just seems like the jump from assistant quarterbacks coach to offensive coordinator would yeah. be huge. Or someone like Zach Robinson, you have him working with the wide receivers, you have him working with the quarterbacks, you have him be the passing game coordinator. Like he's added responsibility throughout the years with a good head coach over him. So, um, you know, I don't think he'd be my top three candidates per se, but I do think, you know, either in the top five kind of at the end or just outside the top five would be, you know, pretty solid. I'm not like in love with the idea outside of the connections part, but like there's no there's no red flags here. It seems like this is a guy who you know, has worked under good coaches, who knows. If someone tweeted today, I forget who it was, a clip where he literally said a marriage of the run in the past game <laughs> in his press conference. And I was like, oh, geez. Yeah. You know, you're saying the exact same things. Perfect for the interview, all the buzzwords. So, <laughs> you know, I, I think that, you know, Brandon Silly might want to go find someone like this. So it wouldn't be surprised if I, I wouldn't be surprised if this was the guy. Yeah, I think it was uh, that account that their username is like a play on words of like Max Kellerman. I forget exactly the the way that he had it spelled. But um, yeah, I mean, it was an interesting clip. I think, you know, you, you've seen some interesting things come out about him. Obviously, he was very high on Justin Herbert, which I think is a good thing and, and was able to really highlight the strengths of Justin Herbert as a prospect, which was really cool to see. Um, but I agree. I don't think he's in my top five. I don't think I would put him as my honorable mention candidate. I still would have him kind of on the outside looking in, but I, I fully would understand why Brandon Staley would make that higher. I think he's a schematic fit. I think he's a philosophy fit. Um, you know, I reached out to a couple people about Zach Robinson and, and a couple of people told me that uh, Staley and Zach Robinson are not necessarily like friends. Like they're not buddy, buddy, like Kevin mm -hmm. O'Connell and him are like best buds. Like that was, that was a thing. But there's a good working relationship there. Like they did interact quite a bit there. They do have some experience working together. So it, it would be a personality fit as well. So that, those are not like the end all be all in terms of what you're looking for for an offensive coordinator. But I think it's pretty clear that Brandon Staley wants somebody who maybe fits what he has in mind for the offense better. And I think Zach Robinson would do that. Like Alex was saying, I think it's just an experience thing for me. And I know he's worked with the receivers and I know he's worked with the quarterbacks, but I just am hesitant to make somebody an offensive coordinator who's been in the league for three years. I think yeah. this, this upcoming season will be his fourth season in the NFL as a coach. Is that right? Yeah. Or maybe it'd be fifth. I mean, so that's also I just, just why I kind of look at like, I don't know, Joe Brady or Mike LaFleur and why I personally have them on my yeah. list hires. Like, yeah, maybe they didn't do their best at an offensive coordinator position, but they've had a season of experience uh, or two seasons of experience in LaFleur's case and have had a chance to, you know, evaluate and, you know, kind of improve in that way versus with 
Zach Robinson, you've had you have a first uh, a lot of first time bumps. I feel like along the road potentially to his path towards becoming like a really good uh, offensive coordinator. So that's just kind of my thing on that. Um, but yeah, it was funny seeing the run, uh, marrying the run game to the pass game clip and just, you know, thinking of all like the Staley buzzwords. Oh, the yeah. Rams have experienced a lot of attrition at the, you know, this year and <laughs> we got the chargers got to be better at the offense, defense and the kicking game. Right. So <laughs> I'm sure he'll come into the interview like that. <laughs> yeah. The, the real test is going to be to find a clip of him saying football playing Jesse. And then yeah. we'll really, we'll oh, really boy. know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In all seriousness, like, again, I, I think Zach Robinson is a fine candidate. I think if you're like tiering the potential hires, like I would understand that hiring. Uh, if mm-hmm. Zach Robinson is the guy, I think it's not. Uh, I don't think it's like a disaster. I don't think it's like a, a bad hiring by any means. I just think that there are are better opportunities, better uh, candidates out there that this team can be searching for right now. Um, all right. So in terms of the offensive coordinator, there is one thing people keep asking me. So I'm going to ask you guys. We're going to talk about it. Uh, Byron Leftwich has been fired. Greg Roman has been fired. Arjun had a lot of fun on the poll uh, yesterday on Twitter <laughs> talking about those two candidates along with Joe Lombardi. Uh, Tyler, any uh, inclination on your part to interview either of those candidates? I mean, if you want to interview them, that's fine. You, if you interview Jason Garrett for head coach, <laughs> you can interview anybody you want. Uh, you know, because an interview is an interview and you never really know, I guess. But the uh, the notion from the one you know, quote unquote insider that Greg Roman was the perfect fit for Justin Herbert, uh, I thought that was a bit surprising to say the least. So, um, if you want to hire or if you want to interview them, you know, by all means, there is experience there at least. Um, that's not quite the experience I'd be leaning towards, but I don't think there's anything wrong with at least giving them a call. Yeah, I yeah. think for I'll start with Greg Roman in particular. I think like bringing him in as a run game coordinator, like, yeah, sign me up. Absolutely. Um, You know, it's just we have over 10 years of experience now with Greg Roman and and as an offensive coordinator, and we know what kind of offense he wants to run and what kind of offense gives him problems and what kind of quarterback specifically he needs to run his offense most effectively. And Justin Herbert is not that quarterback. So uh interview Greg Roman if you want I think his experience is something that you could maybe tap into in that regard but uh I'm not really interested in either one of these I mean Byron mm-hmm. Leftwich uh people will point to like the good years of Tampa Bay but as soon as Bruce Arians retires everything kind of goes up in flames with the Tampa Bay offense and some of that is personnel obviously uh I just think Byron Leftwich isn't necessarily the the kind of coach that Brandon Staley is looking for either so um, if you want to interview Greg Roman, I'm cool with it. I don't I don't see this team being interested in Byron Leftwich at all, essentially. Yeah, it, to me, it has nothing to do with either of them being fired because I feel like the tendency is just like, oh, well, that guy was fired. He's garbage, right? Like, you don't bring him in for an interview. But sure. it's just that their lack of a fit, right? I mean, particularly with Greg Roman, just don't see that as a fit with the kind of offense he wants to run. And the Ravens are partially moving on from him because they want a more modern, like, West Coast offense right like that's why they're moving on from greg roman you know in the interest of trying to maximize all you're getting out of lamar jackson and you know it's it's very well known that like free agents haven't wanted to play in baltimore because of the type of (laughs) offense that craig roman runs especially free agent receivers yeah right so you know if you kind of want to make like the chargers that type of offense like i mean not saying greg roman's a bad coordinator per se but like it's it's just not what the chargers need or looking for not a fit with 
what Staley has said is kind of the agenda of this offensive coordinator search. Either Byron Leftwich, um, yeah, it pretty tough for Byron Leftwich to turn down the Jags job uh, and have Doug Peterson playing on Divisional Sunday. Uh, yeah, kind of kind of tough for him, but I mean, yeah, I mean, as soon as Bruce Arians left, that box offense kind of went down the gutter. Yeah, you could say Brady didn't have the strongest arm, and maybe that affected his play calling in terms of doing so many screens and stuff like that. But it's not like Brady's had the most arm strength since he came to Tampa Bay at 42 years old, right? <laughs> so, yeah. like, to me, that's not really, like, an excuse to defend Byron Leftwich's performance this year. Um, and, you know, uh, to me, he's just not the kind of guy that I would bring in to maximize Justin Herbert at this stage of his career. Yeah, I mean, what a what a coaching butterfly effect, right? Like, imagine if Doug Peterson doesn't get a Jacksonville job and where things are at, just in general, obviously for this team in particular. Uh, you know, yeah. if the Byron Leftwich is their coach, probably don't make the playoffs. Doug Peterson, who knows where he ends up. Uh, so, yeah, very interesting. Um, Arjun has talked about all year long the best offense that the Buccaneers have had all in 2022 was their hurry up offense when essentially when Tom yeah. Brady was calling plays. So I, I thought it was uh, <laughs> just interesting to follow up. Arjun, I think, was the one who I think retweeted a stat that both Byron Leftwich on Wildcard Weekend and Joe Lombardi on Wildcard Weekend uh, had the highest percentage of perfectly covered plays uh, against them. Byron Leftwich at 60% and Joe Lombardi at 58. Uh, yeah. So. The Chargers obviously said pass on Joe Lombardi for next year, and I think in the same vein, pass on Byron Leftwich. Yeah, I uh, I don't know when I'll watch the film of that playoff game, if at all. But you know, Arjun also pointed <laughs> out like the amount of times that Keenan Allen was used as like the motion man and like the decoy, just like was not fun. So, um, all right, guys, any other thoughts about the uh, offensive coordinator news that we have thus far? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Nope, not really. All right, cool. So we will uh, change gears now. We're going to talk about our top 10 chargers of the 2022 season. Uh, this is not top 10 overall. Um, you know, there are going to be some big names missing from each of our lists. So I'm sure that's going to be a, a fun rationalization on Twitter. But, um, <laughs> you know, this is specifically unique to this uh, this particular season. So like Joey Bosa, like I think, in my opinion, would be like a top right. three charger overall. Right. He's not going to be on this list because he didn't uh, he didn't play enough games. So in that regard, before we jump into the actual lists, you know, the three of us were talking uh, beforehand just about 
in particular how we were going to value Mike Williams and Keenan Allen on this list because they didn't play a ton of games. Obviously, Mike Williams only ended up missing um, four regular season games, but he also didn't finish three others. You know, Keenan Allen, um, I think he officially missed, what was it, eight games in total, didn't finish two others. So, mm-hmm. uh, Tyler, we'll start with you. Uh, how did you kind of weigh the injuries in terms of those particular players and maybe some others as well? Yeah, this one was tough because I think the entire list has – maybe one or two players who actually played every game, whether they were, you know, elite or they, whatever happened, like everyone was hurt at some point or everyone (laughs) got food poisoning or everyone was, someone was like not even the starter at one point, you know, I'm talking about, you know, it's so tough to look at this list and really sort them because of everything that happened this year. I weighed heavily uh, against the wide receivers this year because of the games that they missed. Not even just the games they missed. It's also the games they didn't finish. You know, Keenan on comes in for a, a quarter against the Raiders. You know, Mike Williams has one catch against the Chiefs. You know, a lot of these guys aren't even finishing games. So even if they played, you know, 13 and, and 10 games or whatever it was, they only finished like 10 and 8. You know, it, it, so it's really tough to to look at those guys. And, I mean, spoiler alert, neither of those receivers are in my top 10 this year. I... I want to represent what happened in, in 2022 and the best players of 2022 in that particular season. Would they be in my top 10 players of the, on the Chargers? Absolutely. And I, I loved what Keenan Allen did to, to end the season. I love what Mike Williams did throughout you know most of the season when he was on the field. And I think those guys belong in the top 10 Chargers. But as it pertains just to 2022, even though they were very, very good to great when they were on the field, it wasn't enough for me to put them in my top 10. Uh, I have one of them in my top 10. Yeah, I, I also have one, but I, I totally understand. It, it's it's so difficult to look at this list, right? And like Mike Williams had a very, very good first seven games. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he kind of tailed off. He was also injured. Keenan Allen is injured, has a slow start coming back from injury. And then he closes the season with a super strong finish to the season. So it's it's tough to really kind of place where those players are at. Obviously, there was some, you know, other players who kind of took a step back this year, other players who were injured and everything. So uh, very curious to see how this one ends up. So uh, if you're in the chat right now, you want to drop your top 10 list, feel free and do so. And we'll we'll pull some comments up and uh, talk about them. Otherwise, we'll uh, jump right in here. Uh, so it looks like we have two honorable mention spots here. And Alex, we'll start with you first. Uh, in terms of honorable mentions, who would you have there? Uh, my two honorable mentions are Khalil Mack and Asante Samuel Jr. Um, did not get into my list, I think. Khalil Mack was probably the closest one. Ended up with 56 pressures, uh, which was very adjacent to his 2020 season uh, prior to being injured in 2021. thought he was very good for what it was worth, and I think for most of the season he had a really hard job because obviously Joey Bosa was not out there. Um, you know, for most of the year. And then Kyle Van Noy didn't turn it on until really December, right? So for it, it was kind of like he was the only good edge rusher on the team for quite a large portion of the season. Uh, for him to play the way he did, I think he definitely started stronger than he finished. But still, uh, I think you got to have him just like on a pure effort basis. Uh, you know, he was, you know, one of the guys on this team that obviously played every game. Uh, and so I kind of have to give it to him in that sense, even if it wasn't a dominant season for him uh, relative to what we come to expect from Khalil Mack. I still thought it was very good. Uh, and then Asante Samuel Jr. showed a lot of growth this year, 
<laughs> obviously, unfortunately, his three interception game against Jacksonville is, is kind of going to be forgot about in the annals of history. Uh, but overall, he you know showed a lot of development and growth this year, and was part of why that secondary, uh, especially after everything that happened with J.C. Jackson earlier in the year, him and Michael Davis are, are hugely responsible um, for the fact that this secondary and the third level of the defense in particular did not. Uh, fall apart uh, so overall uh, those are my two honorable mentions <laughs> I kind of wanted to include DeAndre Carter in here now I know that that's going to get backlash <laughs> but here's the thing okay DeAndre Carter was asked to be the wide receiver five on this team he ends up playing ha- having to play the wide receiver one two three four or five depending on the given week ended up having 600 yards which was more than anyone except me had him having prior to the season <laughs> starting all right. I, I think there's a case for him being an honorable mention, considering how he stepped up given the injuries. But I didn't put him in there be just because I think there were more deserving players. Uh, but I think everything he had to do in, in 2022 was kind of deserving of it. Yeah, so um, I thought my uh, honorable mentions or omissions were going to be controversial, but I did not expect Khalil Mack as an honorable mention this uh, on this list. Yeah, really? me neither. Um, I get why you wouldn't put him like top five or anything, but I, I was surprised to see him outside the top ten. I mean, I don't know. I I just like to me, I just thought there were ten, it, it, not better guys, but I mean guys who were just more crucial. To, I mean, especially on defense, guys who were more crucial to the defensive performance this season. Uh, of the Chargers in particular. Okay. I guess I'll wait to see what your, your list is yeah. first. No, that's fair. Okay. Um, I, I see a couple of comments in the chat about Jamari Salyer. He can almost be like the MVP of this team, but he didn't make my top 10. Because, yeah. boy, this, this team would have sucked without Jamari Salyer. As far as expectations as a rookie, exceeded them by mm. quite a bit. And certainly because he literally was not supposed to be playing that position. Um, so he did really, really well. But no, not in my top 10. Not in my honorable mentions. I tossed and turned on this one. I finally had to remove him. Really no particular reason. That wasn't like, oh, those games were so bad at the end. I had to remove him. Um, but he was in my top 10 for a while. But I, I couldn't justify it at the very end. Uh, Zion Johnson as an honorable mention. Because I loved, I, I loved watching Zion Johnson play this year. There were just a little bit too much inconsistent, you know, too many inconsistencies um with the play to be completely honest i think he might have had the toughest job out of almost every player um on the team this year because of joe lombardi calling plays because of the guys you know in and out in and out behind or on either side of him because of the guys that he faced every single week i mean for the back half of the season after the bye it was like okay who's like the second or third best player on the opposing team Okay, well, they're probably going up against Zion Johnson, and all they're doing are straight dropbacks with Herbert. So he had a he had a tough, tough, tough job. I think when the stats kind of align a bit better, and then the play overall aligns a bit better, then easily in the top ten because what he did for this offense and what he was able to do, the positives are so, 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 so good, and that's why he's an honorable mention. Um, I just want to see a little bit more from him, and then I think next year, you know, I could easily see him in the top seven, top six, top five. Um, an other honorable mention. I will put this was tough because they're basically tied for me. So I'll just say Keenan Allen. Mm-hmm. But to me, it, it's really either either Keenan or Mike Williams. If I had to say who had the better year, I actually would say Keenan Allen, which is weird because I feel like Mike Williams 
maybe was bigger in bigger moments. But Keenan Allen, mm. the stretch that he finished, I was shocked to see how, well, I mean, on the field, sure, but also statistically, just how good it was. Like Keenan Allen really fell into like the 20s and 30s last year when it came to his production on a per play basis. But Keenan Allen this year, it's like, oh, you're better this year in that, and again, only in like, you know, 40% of the season, but he was better in that, that back, you know, 40% or so than, you know, almost every single receiver in the league. So really, really good there. So if I had to, if I had to pick one, it would have been Keenan Allen. Yeah. I think the way that Keenan Allen finished the season is really hard to ignore. And, you know, again, he had the late touchdown against the Broncos. Like, I understand like, you know, that was kind of a garbage time play, but um, I mean, he was top, he was top three in targets, catches, and yards from week 11 to the end of the season. And, you know, I, I think people have talked about that. But, you know, I think one of the better play, better ways to evaluate wide receiver play is that yards per route run statistic that we have on Pro Football Focus. And he registered a career, not a career high, his, his highest since 2018 in yards per route run this season coming off of a hamstring injury. So I just think like what he meant to the offense and Justin Herbert and, you know, Tyler has talked about this a, a few times, just like kind of bringing the, the best version of Herbert out again. I think it's, it's hard for me to ignore that. So, you know, I, I have him in my top 10 uh, at number 10 um, just because of the injuries. Like it's hard for me to ignore those. Um, but he played at such a high level down the close of the season. So I also have Zion in my honorable mentions. Um, I think like the way that he performed this season is kind of a mixed bag depending on who you talk to. Right. But I think just the, like the dependability reliability that he, he performed this season was incredible. So like, if you really sit down and watch mm -hmm. the way that the chargers tried to, you know, identify their, their identity in the run game it was it was through zion like uh, around the halfway point of the season they started making zion the linchpin of their run game whether it was him pulling whether it was him at you know executing double teams whether it was him getting to the second level like he was their best run blocker for the majority of the season and you know that, that's not a team for Gene Corey Lindsay who's gonna be much higher on this list for me um, so, you know, Zion, I think you can certainly see some of the weaknesses, right? Like, I think he certainly struggled with identifying stunts and games in particular. Um, you know, a lot of that is because he was playing part of the season next to Will Clapp, part of it next to Foster Sorrell, like certainly not ideal circumstances for his rookie season, but I think that his rookie season was still a, a success for me just because of the development that he showed as a run blocker, the dependability in that regard. And frankly, just being a force in the run game. Like, I think he is an outstanding run blocker. Um, if you're into PFF grades, I know they're, they're very hit or miss, um, but he was the 15th highest graded guard in run blocking this year on PFF. So, um, you know, just a, a very solid rookie season and excited to see where he uh, goes from here. Uh, my, other, my other honorable mention is going to be Bryce Callahan. Mm hmm. Um, I, I just have to give him a shout out the way that he was able to shut down the slot this year. Um, you know, he allowed, I think it was like the second fewest, uh, yards per any of any slot corner, like full-time slot corner per PFF. So just a fantastic season. You could really feel the difference in terms of like run defense when you had to put like Josier Taylor in the slot or mm -hmm. take him out of the game. So I don't think he put up like huge numbers by any means. I mean, he didn't get targeted a ton, but 
just the the calming factor that he played with you know we saw down the stretch him used more frequently as a blitzer i thought that was a really cool wrinkle throughout the season so i wanted to give him a shout out because i don't think that you know they they don't have a top 10 passing defense without bryce callahan Mm -hmm. essentially shutting down the slot every single week this year yeah bryce callahan was the guy that i rotated into my top 10 uh instead of someone like keenan allen michael or zion johnson I don't think he finished the year as strong as he would have liked. I feel bad because there was a couple times where it just felt like he was on the end of like impossible plays. You know, that Patrick Mahomes throw, like he was shut down the entire game and then Mahomes made some incredible throw and it just happened to be on Bryce Callahan. Um, so like the numbers at the end of the year, you know, weren't as strong as the beginning of the year. It was basically like, okay, 20 yards or less per game for the first like nine or 10 games of the year. Yeah, um, but I still wanted to rotate him in because of you know how he played in the slot overall. That role as a blitzer, and I think he did a, a fantastic job. Seriously, a huge upgrade over last year's. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Alex, we'll start with you here. We'll go. Uh, we'll each seven. go ten through seven, like we did okay. for draft videos and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll do six through four, and then three through one. So, uh, Alex, you can kick us off there with ten through seven. Number ten, I have Mike Williams. At number nine, I have Morgan Fox. Uh, at number eight, I have Drew Tranquil. And at number seven, I have Bryce Callahan. Oh, all right. Yeah, um, I, I just think you have to have the trio of uh, Davis Callahan and Asante Samuel Jr. in our top 12, or however we're orienting this, because um, they just they just played really well uh, in the secondary, and especially the way that each guy had to step up after JC Jackson obviously, you know, kind of struggled in the beginning of the year and wasn't playing and then played and then got hurt. Um, like this secondary kind of doesn't recover without the performances of all three of those guys. Um, and I think that they got the bad end of or got the bad end of what we saw in the some of the disorganization of the first and second level of the defenses, particularly against the run. Uh, and, you know, I think the back end and the third level of the defense was sort of let down uh, by the first two in that regard. But uh, overall, just have to give a shout out to all the guys in the secondary. I I, I put Morgan Fox, uh, and I maybe that's a controversial pick over Khalil Mack. I don't know, but for me, Morgan Fox had his the best season of his career. He had 40 pressures this year, uh, which is 14 more than uh, his previous career high of 26. And I think the way that he just had to step up in the pass rushing game, specifically in the second half mm-hmm. of the year, where the team reached a point with Jerry Tillery where they had to let him go. Um, if Morgan Fox doesn't step up, I think this pass rush prior, you know, to Kyle Van Noy getting started up would have been kind of anemic, right? Like, I mean, Morgan Fox stepped up in a big way for this team. I have him uh, in my top 10. Mike Williams or Keenan Allen, I wanted to include one of them on this list. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, same. I mean, just of them, both of them were 800 plus yard players, um, even with the missed time that they both had. So, you know, obviously some games they didn't finish. Um, I just kind of went with Keenan, missed a few more games, and to yeah. me, Mike, sort of like Tyler said, had more defining moments, right? But I, there, it's kind of like there's there are drives that I can remember from Keenan Allen where he was just kind of like a monster for the Chargers or specific catches that I can remember. But like Keenan kind of racked up those stats towards the end of the year. I'm not saying they were empty stats because obviously he had very good games, but mm-hmm. I just didn't think that each one was like like a particularly memorable like oh that's the keenan allen game right like in terms of the offense this year so that's kind of why i sided with mike williams over keenan allen um and then drew tranquil uh, i think drew tranquil is a really good uh 
mention here uh, and mm-hmm. obviously had the career year. He's either going to get paid or he'll get the same $3 million that Kaiser White got <laughs> after a career year. Either one is possible. Um, but And by get paid for a linebacker, I mean like get like $5 million. But, uh, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, Drew Tranquil just had a really solid year. I think he stepped up in a big way after Kaiser left. Uh, and yeah, uh, if it wasn't for him, the linebacker room kind of would have been a disaster. Um, and so for me, he absolutely deserves a spot uh, defensively uh, on this list. Yeah, and no, I really like this group. Uh, Morgan Fox. Morgan Fox over Kalomak. I don't know if it's a controversial take. I, I will say that if you look at it, just in terms of defensive tackle versus edge rusher, Morgan Fox was better at his position right. on a per-play basis than Khalil Mack was. So I understand how you can make that argument there. Um, Bryce Callahan being up there, I totally get. Asante Samuel Jr., I would have had potentially in my top 10 or honorable mention, if not for the sort of end of the year, maybe really from like the Titans game on, where suddenly they were taking him off the field for John yeah, Taylor. And at, the point, and at the point where you're, now whether I agree or disagree with that, that's a whole different thing, but if you're being taken off the field because they don't trust you to play run defense, it's hard to put you you know, in the top players because he had such a good year, I think, in coverage and then just kind of like the last third of the year, you know, they didn't really trust him to play the run for whatever reason. It's tough to put him uh, in there. But I still like you including all three corners because, I mean, without those three corners, I don't know what we would have seen this year. I mean, we saw it when Michael Davis got hurt against the Jaguars. Look what happened. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm sure Michael Davis would be up higher for all of us. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad Alex is highlighting Drew Tranquil. I'm sure he's going to be in a similar area for me and Tyler as well. I think one of the bigger pleasant surprises this year was the way that they started to use him as a pass rusher. Um, you know, that we saw some flashes of it early last season, but it, it was never really like his thing. And then this year, uh, you know, I forget the exact amount of pressures and sacks, but um, just a, a really fun way that they would kind of get after the quarterback. I mean, the Chargers ended up, I think, fourth in blitz rate this year. And a lot of that was because, you know, they wanted to get Drew Tranquil and, and kind of get him going after the passer. So, um, Tyler, what's uh, what's your 10 through 7? Okay, so my 10 through 7, I did rotate <laughs> Bryce Callahan in. I really wanted to put Zion there. It was between him and, and Bryce, but I went with Bryce Callahan. Uh, at number 8, excuse me, 9, I have Trey Pipkins, a player that if he had stayed healthy the entire year, I think would have been a lot higher. It just like That was kind of like the, where the injuries kind of came in there. But Trey Pipkins, when he was on the field, excellent work. And seriously, biggest surprise of the year to everyone except for, I guess, Trey Pipkins. And even then, I think he surprised himself. I have Morgan Fox after that at number eight. And then at number seven, I have Derwin James. And that's going to be probably very controversial because in terms of (laughs) top 10 players on the team, he's, you know, fifth at worst. But I, I just felt like there were too many moments this year. Not that there weren't outstanding moments, but there were some other moments where there was a little bit left to be desired. And I think some other guys on defense stepped up maybe just a bit more. Yeah, we'll see where or where Alex and I have Derwin. But, you know, I think the end of the season was definitely not ideal. And I think Derwin would admit that, right? I think the concussion in particular really affected the way that he was not being as physical and aggressive. Um, and then also he wasn't really used as a as a pass rusher the second half of the season very much either, which I think is, is not necessarily his fault. But um, I can understand why you'd have him here. I mean, he missed some time as well. Like I mentioned, the concussion, the quad injury, you know, the last four or five games weren't necessarily the best, wasn't necessarily the best version of Derwin. 
So I'm going to have him a couple spots higher, but I, I understand why you'd put him where you put him. All right. So for me, um, I mentioned him. I'm going to have Keenan at number 10. I think it's just, it, it's really hard for me to ignore the way that just the the sheer amount of importance and value that he brought to the passing game down the stretch. Um, definitely, you know, the injuries and some of the inflation at the end of the season certainly, um, you know, making an impact there. I also have Trey Pipkins at number nine. Um, you know, I think his talking about PFF grades, I think his run blocking grade is ridiculously low for me. Um, I think him and Zion did some great work mm -hmm. in the run blocking department. And like, <laughs> if you really look at his pass blocking efficiency and where he ranks, man, it's insane to me to like, look back to how we were talking about Jeez. this player, uh, even six months ago. So mm -hmm. you filter PFF to 50% of, uh, tackles with 50% of their respective team snaps. Um, the top 10 is a lot of names. Do you think in terms of pass blocking efficiency? Uh, it, first of all, Tristan Wirfs and Lane Johnson are playing completely Nasty. different sports. It's just <laughs> insane. Um, yeah. but then you look at the rest of this list in terms of right tackles. I mean, like, and total offensive tackles straight pipkins tied for 20th with guys like Deion dawkins and Braden smith he's higher than colton miller higher than taylor decker donovan smith he's higher than you know ikimi kwanu who was a, a a top five draft pick he's higher than orlando brown he's higher than charles leno leno who's a really solid player higher than jedrick wills who's a really solid player higher than jordan mylotta who's a really good left tackle like it's just insane to me to look at this list of where Trey Pipkins is in pass blocking efficiency, um, just in general, right? But then also he spent basically the second half of the season battling an MCL injury. And, you know, when I interviewed Zion, like they all looked at Trey and the way that he battled through that and really like respected him that much more because of the way that he was fighting through that for the team. I think everybody kind of knew what they had behind Trey Pipkins. Uh, and so Pipkins being able to, to battle through that injury, I think was, was huge for this team. Like they, they do not make the playoffs without Trey Pipkins developing this way. Mm -hmm. They do not make the playoffs with him battling through this injury. And uh, you know, he was just a, a real, a real studying presence for me at right tackle all season long and absolutely deserves to uh, get paid and be back with this team next year. Um, all right. So next I have drew tranquil who we've kind of talked about a little bit. And then at number hello, can't type his name. There we go. And then at number seven is where I have Morgan Fox. So um, I understand if you want to put Morgan Fox higher. I understand if you want to put him lower. Per play basis, you know, he was top five in most mm -hmm. pass rushing departments in, in the defensive tackle world. So uh, you want to talk about a real value signing in free agency. I think Morgan Fox was absolutely one of the better ones. Yeah, Morgan Fox, I think if he had started the season the way he finished things, really once they got rid of Jerry Tillery and when guys started getting hurt, it was down to him. They did not have another pass rushing option at all, yeah. uh, and, or at least not nothing even close. Um, but so if he had started the season like that, the way like the way he finished, and I guess you could say the same for like a Kyle Van Noy too, but Morgan Fox, man, was, was outstanding. So I, Morgan Fox could have been a top three player this year if he started the way he finished. Yeah, just uh, officially really quickly. Um, so he ended up with 40 42 total pressures, which is 15th among defensive tackles. Uh, seven sacks, which is, is a high quality number of sacks. That is tied for 13th. His pass rush productivity 
which is a per play efficiency rating uh, tied for eighth in the league mm-hmm. with DeForest Buckner and just behind J.J. Watt and Cam Hayward. And then his win percentage was eighth in the league just behind DeForest Buckner and Quinnen Williams. So um, just a, a really effective player uh, this year against the pass. And I thought he was pretty good against the run as well. Not necessarily like their best run defender by any means, but mm-hmm. had some good moments in that regard too. Yeah, he was not super hot to start the year. That's kind of where he was a bit more weak. But then as soon as they needed him to to step up, and he there was an interview with him, Fahoko, and Joseph Day where he said, I just had to learn to love the nitty-gritty and, and playing the run and getting in there and just being tough because my team needed me to. Guys got hurt, and I, as a usual pass rusher, had to step up and love stopping the run. And he really did in that second half, and that's why he belongs on this list. Yep. Absolutely. All right, Alex, we'll get to your uh, six through four here. Number six, I have Michael Davis. At number five, I have Trey Pipkins. And at number four, wow. I have Corey Lindsley. I thought I was going to be high. I thought I was going to be high on Trey Pipkins heading in today. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, offensive line guy. I have two, <laughs> two of my top five. I mean, look, they don't survive the season without Trey Pipkins. And I remember, like Steven said, we were talking about Trey Pipkins and Storm Norton in the offseason. Like, it was rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. It was just like, which which <laughs> one do you want to go with? And, like, maybe we had slightly more belief in Trey Pipkins because of the, you know, the way that he closed last year in the two games that he played uh, and, and you know, uh, the Duke Mannyweather stuff. But aside from that, like, there wasn't a whole lot of reason to have a lot of institutional faith in, in Trey Pipkins. And he proved everyone wrong in, like, a big way, right? He gives up 28 pressures on 900 snaps, basically, uh, which is not what I would have projected going into the season. He was just an insane calming presence, right? And especially when Rashawn Slater gets hurt on the other side and they're, you know, cycling through options i mean really uh at left tackle whether that was jamari salier storm norton who came into that jacksonville game initially you know i I think you can dock him points for injuries and obviously but you know he fought through an mcl the whole season and to perform Mm. as well as he did in the games he played while having a sprained mcl and and going through that injury and re-aggravating it and coming back and to not really he, he never really had like a this is the Trey Pipkins implode game right which is what we no, had never. seen in like previous seasons never had it right and i think that that's you know a big thing um for for why Trey Pipkins is so high Corey Lindsley is self-explanatory i mean he's one of the best centers in the league uh and you know was basically the same this year uh and, and Michael Davis uh did did not think we would be talking about Michael Davis as a top 6 charger entering the season but, I mean, he's the best part of, you know, other than Derwin James, who will be on our list, he's the best part of the secondary. Um, and, you know, was a huge reason why this team even came close to the playoffs. Because if Michael Davis doesn't play the way that he did against several number one receivers, th- this team, I, I don't think, comes close to the playoffs. Um, especially after the way J.C. Jackson, uh, you know, unfortunately got injured. Uh, Michael Davis was just huge this year and the leap that he took. I mean, we were talking about him as a cut candidate along with Matt Filer. A right? surefire just, cut candidate. Yeah, surefire cut candidate, right? It's like, well, you see, you can save $7 million. There's a you know cap hit of nine, dead cap of two. You know, then it's an easy decision, right? But now you're potentially getting number one cornerback level play for you know $9 million next year. Um, so absolutely, he has changed what his tenure was with the Chargers in a huge way. And you just kind of look at the way he was deployed in 2021 by Brandon Staley versus the way that the circumstances forced him to be deployed this year uh, in terms of how the team used him. 
Um, and I think that he just kind of, I don't want to say he proved Brandon Staley wrong in a way, but he kind of did, right? Brandon Staley never really envisioned Michael Davis as his number one corner, especially in, in 2021 and especially going into this year. Um, and I think he proved us wrong too. Uh, so, you know, Michael Davis for, you know, he kind of looked like the player, an improved version of the player that we saw towards the end of 2020, uh, you know, and kind of the guy that we really expected to step up after, you know, Casey Hayward left the team. So 2021 was kind of like a weird time, but he's really grown into that guy that we sort of expected to see last year. Even Tom Zalesko had to shout him out in the end of season presser as a guy like, yeah. you know, he didn't want, he didn't want to try to single out specific players, but he said, you know, Michael Davis, he you know, improved, he got paid and then things just didn't really work out as well. That first year, new, new coach, new system. I can't believe how well Michael Davis played. He's very high on my list, not number one or anything, but you know, very high on my list because of, I mean, he was, when he was inserted as the true starter, you know, once JC Jackson went down, just like one of the best corners in the league. I mean, Steven talked about to end the season, like you could have legitimately argued in, in terms of when he was playing as that starter, as like a second team all pro type, just outstanding football and the best football he's ever played in his career because it was more than just, you know, the coverage. It was also just getting his hands on the football. I mean, he was doing everything so well, so scheme sound, just outstanding work. And I, I, I didn't expect that. I thought he, I kind of thought that Asante Samuel Jr. lost the job in camp and that Michael Davis earned it and deserved to be out there. I kind of figured that Davis would be, you know, potentially the better of the two, but they just had him as a gunner. And I understand, like, you pay JC Jackson. I, under, I completely understand why they decided to find someone else to upgrade over someone like a Michael Davis. I understand why they did, but, I mean, this guy was a gunner, and now he's, I mean, you could have argued he was a second-team All-Pro last year. It's crazy, but good for him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, ended up leading the league by a, a pretty good margin in forcing completions from week nine on for for the Chargers. And, you know, it sucks because that his him getting injured against the Jaguars changes the game. Like yep. nobody wants to re- talk about it that way. But, you know, the Chargers past events just imploded without him. So, mm-hmm. uh, Tyler, you're uh, six through four. OK, six and seven. So Derwin James and this player could have been interchangeable. It's Drew Tranquil. Uh, I thought that he had well, obviously very easily had his, his best season. I think it was 100 solo tackles, 50-something run stops. You talk about the games he took over as a pass rusher, you know, the guy that had doing crazy things in coverage that I don't think they've had a Chargers linebacker do and do successfully in quite some time. You talk about like the interception against the Raiders in week one. Just outstanding work. So Drew Tranquil there for me. I did like his season just a bit over someone like Derwin James. Number five, I do have Khalil Mack. Not Khalili Mack. I have Khalil Mack, who I thought had a, a good season. I think it's tough. And I think even Joey Bosa said as much, like, I'm sorry I wasn't out there. You know, Khalil Mack, he was traded here. It's not like he signed up to be here. But, you know, the intention was to have him and Joey Bosa. And after two, you know, you know 2.2 weeks, it was just Khalil Mack by himself with, you know, Kyle Van Noy still trying to figure things out and Chris Rumpf not being super effective. So I think he maybe would have been hired in a normal season. But I do have to appreciate what he was able to do and how he's able to, you know, absorb double teams, triple teams, and just be the guy, you know, the defenses had to focus on. So guys like Morgan Fox and, you know, Kyle Van Noy could have better seasons. Uh, and then at number four, I do have Austin Eckler, who statistically, in terms of the numbers he put up, 
probably should be in my top three. I just admire a certain corner and two other players a bit more. <laughs> totally understandable. We'll get to them in a second here. Um, yeah, in terms of Khalil Mack, I have him in, in my top six as well. I have him right at number six. Um, you know, I, I think on a per play basis, you're pro- you're not talking about him in the same kind of world as you're talking about some of these other edge rushers, right? But he did end up 15th in total pressures um, with 59. He had nine sacks, six quarterback hits. You know, his pass rush win rate is uh, kind of dipped a little bit. It's 14.5, which is is kind of, you know, middle of the pack in terms of edge rushers with 50% of their snaps. And so on a per play pass rusher basis, like he didn't have his best year. But like if you would have told if you would have told all of us before the season that, hey, Joey Bosa is going to miss basically the entire season. What would you kind of expect out of Cleo Mack at that point for him to end up at 59 total pressures and nine sacks, I think is a win. And then I think you also talk about his ability as a run defender and the way that he's able to set the edge and effectively, you know, hold down that side of the ball. Like, I think it's it's noteworthy, obviously, that they other teams usually ran to the other side of Khalil Mack. But um, I think his ability as a run defender, like if you want to talk about like the, you know, trade off between him and Uchenna and Wosu and like what Uchenna and Wosu was able to do for the Seahawks this year. I think that's kind of the difference because as pass rushers, I think they're pretty even in my opinion. Um, but as a run defender, I'm taking Klumac all day. And then I think also like his ability as a leader, you know, really kind of turned around the season for the Chargers defense. And, you know, we heard about the team dinners and things like that, that he was organizing. So while you don't necessarily see that kind of effect, I think it, it does, it does deserve some mention. So I have Klumac at number six. I have Derwin James at number five. Uh, for the, a lot of the same reasons that uh, Tyler has highlighted. And then I also have Austin Eckler at number four. So, oh, um, okay. Yeah, not not as an egregious take as you might think, Tyler. So I, I, I agree with that. I think it's it's hard to, like, ignore the 20 touchdowns that he put up. And the way that he, <laughs> right. <laughs> he was really essentially, like, the only passing weapon that Justin Herbert really trusted. But in terms of the run production like his his primary job is to run the football and i think there was a lot of up and down moments there so if you're nitpicking a little bit i don't think that you can really say that austin eckler is like one of the best at his position um while i think the touchdowns might you know say that say otherwise and it's it's tough to nitpick somebody who broke the franchise record for receptions this year um but i i think if you are you can be a little nitpicky in terms of him versus the other three players that I will have in my top three. Yeah, um, I, th- I think that's fair. I ended up putting Austin Eckler in my top three, as I think is you know easily visible based on our list at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's a tough thing because I think it's a debate as to whether what he specifically means to the Chargers versus where you would put him around the league. And I sort of went with sure. the first thing in terms of putting him in my top three because no, I would not call Austin Eckler a top five pure running back i also probably would not call him a top 10 pure running back right like and that's kind of why he didn't make the pro bowl right but he's obviously one of the top three receiving backs in the league and you know uh just the total effect of this team he's the only running back uh, you know only one of the few receivers that justin herbert could trust throughout the season certainly one of the only receivers that joe lombardi trusted uh throughout various points of this season uh but you know i i have him well i guess i'll get to my top three now derwin james is number three for me uh i have austin eckler at number two and then of course number one is oh i think you're typing in the wrong spot tyler that's fine 
Oh, okay. Well, I get it. Um, yeah, I have uh, Derwin at three, Ackler at two, and Herbert at one. Um, yeah, Derwin ended up. I think having. I think he did have a few games towards the end of the season uh, where he did kind of like show some signs of regression. Obviously, there was the way the Indianapolis game ended, which was kind of unfortunate for him. Gets injured in that game with the concussion, and then the Denver game. Yeah, not his best tape to kind of like leave the season on. But still, I mean, you look at the numbers, and it's the lowest passer rating he's ever allowed of his career. Uh, it's the lowest number of yards he's ever allowed in his career as a defender. Uh, tied for 2018 in terms of the amount of sacks he had. Um, you know, still was working as a pass rusher as well. Uh, so for me, I you know, and obviously the NFL and the media members also voted him second-team All-Pro. You know, substantive that he was the only chargers uh all pro nomination you know so for me the the way that brandon staley could just trust derwin james to kind of do everything um i i think really produced his best probably most complete season that we've seen from him since his rookie year i would argue in uh in 2018 uh so yeah that's why derwin james is number three for me eckler pretty self-explanatory um Eckler is pretty self-explanatory here at number two. Uh, just a total offensive weapon for the Chargers that they could trust in any given time. You know, I think if I were, were to nitpick, yeah, certainly the running stuff. But, like, to me, that's more of a scheme thing than an Eckler thing, right? Especially as, as it was visible sure. in the Jags game, right? As to, you know, what the Chargers were doing schematically wrong to not be able to pick up yards on the ground with Austin Eckler. Um, and then we saw in the games that they did scheme up well. Austin Eckler still pretty good running back. Um, and then Justin Herbert is number one. Everything that he fought through this year, the rib injury, uh, Joe Lombardi, you know, a lot of things that he fought through this year. And so for me, Justin Herbert ends up, even though obviously it's not statistically his best season, uh, not even statistically his second best season when you, you know, look at the total numbers. But for me, I, I think you've got to give a lot of credit to what Herbert was able to do. Um, and, you know, he was single-handedly saving the Chargers in games that they really didn't have business winning, um, particularly I look in that two-week stretch of the Miami game. Uh, I look in that stretch of the uh, that two-week stretch of Miami and Tennessee really kind of defined Justin Herbert for me. Not the greatest game against Tennessee, but nothing was working on offense really until we kind of get that last iconic Herbert moment where he puts that ball right on Mike Williams uh, and kind of wins the game for the Chargers that way. So, yeah, for me, obviously the Miami game is probably my favorite overall Herbert game from this year. You could point to the Kansas City game with the cracked rib where, you know, he just threads in a beautiful ball to DeAndre Carter through everything, right? So, yeah, um, I assume that you guys have a similar top three. I know Tyler will have um, Michael Davis in his top three. But for me, uh, you know, we all kind of have similar top sixes, and these are just the guys that I thought deserved it uh, a little bit more. I think someone mentioned Jamari Sallier in the chat. I, If I had, you know, another honorable mention spot, I kind of would have put him in there. But I also just didn't think that when I looked at the overall offensive line play that he wasn't at the level of, like, Zion, who I didn't even have in my list, uh, Lindsley or Pipkins. But, I mean, would have sure. been an honorable mention if I obviously kind of had another spot. Yeah, as we yeah. said earlier, you know, in terms of value and importance, like you probably make the case for Jamal Isario for like number one on that list. But if you're talking about just like pure performance, I think it's it's understandable to not have him on the list. I think for me, for Derwin, I think if you had been able to see 
what he was doing for the first 11 weeks across a whole season, I think you'd be talking about our, for me, I think you'd be talking about the number one player on this list. I think what he was mm-hmm. doing in the, in those first 11 weeks as, as a coverage player, I mean, we saw him essentially play edge rusher for <laughs> like half the game yeah, against geez. the 49ers and the way that he was pass rushing and getting after the quarterback and all the things that he was doing, you know, just on this defense to, to keep it afloat. I mean, you know, covering DeAndre Hopkins and covering Devontae Adams. Like, I, I think his first 11, 12 games were truly, truly elite. And I think, that, frankly, that's why he was, you know, second team all pro. So it's just, unfortunately, we didn't really see him finish the season that way. I think you saw him have some really poor moments against the Broncos and some poor moments against the Jaguars. Um, you know, and unfortunately, I think you just didn't see him peaking at the right time. If you want to use that, that usual cliche. Yeah, I, I would say that in particular, I guess, Austin Eckler and Michael Davis, like they really started to, they, they finished a bit stronger. So it's in a bit of a, what have you done for me lately sort of thing. I just feel like those two jumped someone like Derwin James because of the way that they finished. All right, Tyler, let's uh, finish your top three here. Okay. The wait is over. Michael Davis jumps in at number three. Honestly, again, if he had played the entire year, you could consider him over Justin Herbert, which sounds insane. Um, But this is an MVP list. This is a top 10 players list. But no, he's not over Justin Herbert, so calm down. Uh, Number two, I have Corey Lindsley, who honestly, again, if he had played the entire year, he probably would have been over Justin Herbert. If And I think probably the favorite um, between him and Davis because Corey Lindsley allowed five pressures this season, and that's disgusting. I don't know how that's even possible, but Corey Lindsley, I think it was five pressures, and I think last year was like seven or something. What he's been doing over the last two years has been outstanding, but the food poisoning, the knee issue, whatever it was, uh, the tendonitis knocks him down just a tiny bit, Um, but I, I would argue when he was on the field, he was the best at his position. And then number one, Justin Herbert, who did not have his like best season or at least the best season that he could have had but still had an excellent season and at the end of the day you know nine out of ten times justin herbert was the best player on the field for the chargers so he's number one for me yeah so i have the exact same top three as tyler i really thought for a little bit to to put Corey lindsley at number one i did and i I think if he had played the whole season i think he probably would have been um (laughs) Again, PFF's past PFF's offensive line grades, I think, are kind of a mess. But um, he was eight full points ahead of the next highest graded pass blocking center. Eight points in pass blocking <laughs> grade. That is absurd. And the way that he was, you know, handling everything up front, I think we saw, you know, pretty clearly the difference in terms of, you know, him versus Will Clapp. I think is is actually kind of like a fine backup center. Um, but the way that Corey Lindsay was handling everything was just incredible this year. And, you know, seven total pressures, if you want to include the playoff game, pass blocking efficiency rating, a career high this year for Corey Lindsay, uh, who's been a second team all pro center, a Pro Bowl center. And he had a career high in pass blocking efficiency this year, 99.4 best in the league. So I think you also see his value as a run blocker quite often. I think Zion was pretty clearly like the best. Uh, not clearly, but I think Zion was the was the best run blocker. But Corey Lindsley was was right there neck and neck with him all season. And I think you know the way that they kind of use him is just remarkable. So um, people talking about getting a, a future center, I'm not there yet. I still think Corey Lindsley has two years less, two years left of, of elite mm-hmm. play. I think he's been fantastic. 
Um, and then, yeah, man, Michael Davis, like we already talked about a little bit. I thought that him versus Derwin was 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 an interesting debate for me. <laughs> I ended up putting him ahead of Eckler as well. Just like corner it, to me is probably like the second hardest position to play in football, like especially with the way that the rules are are made today. And so the way that he was just shutting that part of the field down, I think is fantastic. And the way that he was able to essentially go from, you know, back up to being their best corner to being like the focal point of their coverage schemes. I think it just was, was so much fun watching Michael Davis this year. And, you know, I wanted to, you know, honor his, his journey this year in, in the right way. So I put him at, at three and then you guys kind of covered it for Justin Herbert. I mean, it, it sucks. Like the, his rib injury, I think will, you know, affected him more than even he would admit. And, you know, he still ended up like third in the league in passing yards, still had some great moments, had to play most of the season without, you know, his two best receivers on the field and uh, still just, you know, put it out there all online. So, you know, this team, like, I think you could maybe make an argument for Corey Lindsay had a better season than Justin Herbert, like I said, but this team and the way that Justin Herbert just took a huge step this forward in terms of like ownership of the offense, ownership of passing schemes, ownership of, you know, taking a bigger leadership role this year. Like I think Justin Herbert, even though he didn't like take a huge step, like from a production standpoint, I think he took a huge step in terms of a leader on the field, in terms of the face of the franchise. And I think you have to put him at number one because of that. Yep. Uh, How close were we to Cameron Dicker in the (laughs) top 10? You know what? I actually had a I had an idea for a spot where I was just gonna put Dicker Hopkins Bertolet as like I did too. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I yep. thought about doing it and I, I, I narrowed I think they were like the fifteenth like player that I might have like cut out, but yeah. I did have a spot for that just because of uh, obviously Ryan Ficken, the improvement of special teams and the fact that all three of those guys have like I yeah, all all three of them have a game winner. Yeah, Dicker yeah. had a game winner. Bertolette mm-hmm. had a uh, game winner against Cleveland. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah, and then yeah, Hopkins obviously in the infamous Denver Monday Night Football game. Uh, so yeah, like the fact that they made field goals this year, and you know <laughs> they they really didn't like. I mean, Dicker obviously missed against the Jags, which you know kind of ends the season on a bad <laughs> note. But uh, overall, like there's never been a Chargers kicking game that's been this good and it's even more crazy when you consider that there were three guys who kicked field goals and it wasn't just because oh they they cut a guy and then they brought another guy in (laughs) like they did it out of necessity and it somehow still worked so i mean that's like a a pretty crazy thing yeah i I think if we had hit or if he had hit a couple more 50 yarders and you could tell from like that range he was also you know performing really well i think he'd be there but i think he had the 50 yarder right but no 51 or higher uh i don't or was the 50 yarder in the playoffs his career high 50 yarder was the playoffs yeah yeah. okay yeah so Eh. i i wanted to find some way i I love what you talked about alex about all three kickers being in there because you want to just kind of not jumbotron what's the voltron i don't know what's the transformers (laughs) thing (laughs) assemble them together i think that would be a fine decision yeah, I mean, it kind of is a Voltron of all of them together because it's Hopkins for the first four or five games, then Bertolet, then Hopkins came back, then Dicker. I mean, just the way that that whole thing played out, um, I, you know, and the fact that the Chargers still made the playoffs given the situation of having to play three kickers throughout the season and, like, none of them 
ever had like an egregiously bad game you know during the regular season um it, it, just nothing you can dream of as a chargers fan given uh you know if you, especially if you go back to like the yeah anything anything from like 2016 to 2020 <laughs> so this was pretty unprecedented yeah we're gonna get a, a legitimate kicker battle in training camp probably this year with uh dicker <laughs> and battle? Uh, dustin hopkins uh, maybe we'll see what what kind of state dustin hopkins is is going forward next year so um, I think you could also put like a spot for J.K. Scott in there. I mean, I, I, I think J.K. Scott was fine. I think he he knows how to punt the ball really far up in the air. Um, but you know, I think in terms of like punting around the league, I think J.K. Scott is is probably a middle of the pack punter. Um, and uh, you know, that was a huge upgrade for the Chargers. It was, but I just don't think that merits a you know a top twelve player nomination. There's kind of a part of me that just wants to put like Ryan Ficken at like number three. What about number one, man? Yeah, if you just take the totality of special teams, and I mean, you know, that includes uh, Carter, that includes Scott, that includes the kickers, right? Like, every, you know, special teams coverage, like all of that kind of stuff. Um, you know, if you could just jumble into one guy, I think it'd be cool. But uh yeah i definitely was it was thinking about doing like a kicker spot but overall there were just more deserving guys but i mean it was close yeah absolutely so um you know that conversation went uh, a little bit longer than i thought it would um you know I, I think it was a really good conversation very valuable conversation um unfortunately i don't have time to uh stick around and take questions i don't know if you two do but um you know i, th I think that's probably where we end today's show I definitely didn't think it would go for 70 minutes. I am taking questions on the Patreon page, so I'll be answering those either today or tomorrow um, if I have time, and then I'll get to that. But we're going to take the next week off, yeah? Yes. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens exactly when they hire an offensive coordinator. Daniel Popper is going to be joining uh, our show uh, probably on Monday or Tuesday of next week. Um, so we'll keep you guys posted, but we are planning to take some time away from uh, podcasting for the next little bit, kind of uh, refresh the battery, so to speak, and uh, start watching some draft prospects. So excited for that part of the of the show to uh, start. Start a little too earlier, but I'm uh, too early in the year, but I'm still excited to uh, start watching prospects. Um, Alex, any final thoughts, man? Go birds, <laughs> go birds. Yes, uh, Tyler. Any other final thoughts on uh, anything we talked about today? Fly, Eagles, fly. And no, Tarmus Martinez, we're not getting Reedy versus Tyler. Um, that'd be interesting. But if we ever did that interview, I would like to do it from my bed. <laughs> Shout out Damien Square, man. One of my uh, one of the better <laughs> media chargers of the last few years. You um, bed, but Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Are you in bed, Joe? <laughs> Shout out Square, man. Um, all right, that's going to do it for us. Uh, if you guys are listening to this, make sure and leave a, a rating or a view. If you're watching this, please make sure and uh, like and subscribe. All of that really does help us continue to grow the show. So we really appreciate that. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, going to be our last show for, for the next few days officially. And then we'll uh, start diving into off-season content uh, starting up in uh, two weeks from now. So, Appreciate all you guys for tuning in. We'll, uh, like I said, we'll keep you posted on the the schedule for sure. But we'll uh, we'll be we'll be seeing you soon, no doubt.